Well, guys, we'll be back in the book of First uh, John today. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we'll be in First John chapter 2, beginning in, uh, in verse uh, 18 and going through verse 29 today. So we'll cover a few verses together. Um, John has been walking us through the differences between those who say that they're believers and those who really are believers. And there is a difference in those two. Uh, there are many people, especially down south in the Bible Belt, that if you ask them, are you a Christian? They would say, absolutely. And yet you would ask them for evidence and proof of that relationship with the Lord, and they would be far-fetched to find that. Uh, for many people, uh, just their culture or maybe their parents' belief or their parents' faith would be the thing that they would cling to and say, this is why I call myself a Christian. I, I go to church. I grew up in the South. My parents were believers. My papa was a preacher, or you just name it. And they come up with all the different ways that they would justify that claim that they are believers. And so in, in chapter 2 earlier, John has already talked about one way in which uh, we can distinguish between those who say they are believers and those who are not. There were many in his day that were saying that they were Christians, and yet when they left the church building, they would live a lifestyle that was completely different. And John said, don't be fooled by that. Today he comes back and warns us of a second uh, danger and temptation that would would plague that church and would continue on even into our day and our time. And so I want us to talk about this together today, and I want us to, to be able to uh, heed the warnings that John gives to us so that we are not led astray, so that we are not sucked into something that is, is um, antithetical to the gospel, that is, is opposed to the gospel. Uh, and I want us to be aware of that because we live in a day and a time where this very easily could occur. So let's pick up in John, First uh, John, chapter two, uh, verse eighteen, and then we'll go from there. In verse eighteen, he says, "Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last." Hour. So let me stop right there and just say that the scripture was teaching, and John is one, John really is the only author in the New Testament, I believe, that uses the word antichrist. But he, he says here that they've heard about it, that they know about it, that there was a teaching that was already present in the church, that this, this figure was coming, this larger-than-life figure would come, who would be the antichrist. And he would try to lead people away from God. Um, there's a lot written in the scriptures uh, about the Antichrist and about what he will do in those final days. But John says something here. He says, listen, you, you've heard about this Antichrist. You've heard that he's going to rise in power. Uh, he's going to be a prominent figure, that he's going to be popular in the people's eyes. He's going to say things that sound Christian to lead Christians or to lead those that are on the, the edge away from God. Uh, he will accumulate this huge following and here he's saying that that following will come even from within the church. And I don't know if that scares you as much as that scares me. But one of the things that he says here is that there is this Antichrist that's coming, but there are now many Antichrists, little Antichrists, if you will, that have already come. And he's going to show us today that, that they are working within the church to lead people out of the church. And so I want us to look at that today. But he's saying, look, even though you've heard about the, the big guy that's coming, he says, I want you to be aware that there is, um, there are those, there are many now that have come. So this major antichrist that will come at the end of time will look and sound like a shepherd. He will claim to be a, a sheep in God's fold, and yet he will be dressed uh, as a sheep, but will be a wolf in sheep's clothing. At his core, 
this Antichrist will be self-serving. And, uh, and once he gets what he wants, Scripture says, he will then turn on the people of God. Uh, John says here, you've, you've heard that this is coming. But now many Antichrists have come. So it's not just waiting for the end of time and waiting for the one big person that's going to splash on the scene and make this huge end of the world thing. But I want you to realize, John says, that there are Antichrists that are already here. Many Antichrists that are already here. And therefore we know that it's the last hour. He says in verse 19, they went out from us. Here's the the work that's being done within the church, he says. These people were a part of our church. They were part of our church gatherings, but they were not of us. In other words, they, they, they gathered with us, but they were not part of the family of God. Now, they pretended to be, and they were there, and, and he says, listen, these lesser antichrists are, are, are here. They will infiltrate the church trying to do some of the same things that this end-of-time antichrist will do. And so John warns us, not just to be concerned about the major antichrist that will come at the end. You know, a lot of Christians spend a lot of time trying to figure out what is the mark of the beast going to be and who is this antichrist figure going to be. And they're so focused on that one person at the end of time that they miss the fact that there are many within the church that Satan has placed within the church that will then try to lead people astray. Some are pastors. uh, Some are other leaders. And he says we need to be aware that they are there. They are, there are multiple lesser antichrists that are there. And we've got to learn how to recognize them, how to resist them, how to reject them and their lies that they bring. And, and we do that by knowing the gospel clearly. We talk about the gospel a lot here because the gospel is the thing that we need to center our lives upon. It's the truth that God has revealed to us through the Word of God, that lets us know the truth from the lie. And, and it's how we distinguish between those who are truly of God and those who are not. And the Bible says that we are to test the spirits and to see if they are of God before we just follow them. That's why we encourage you to take out your Bible and to follow along and to make sure that the things that I'm saying are the things that the Scripture says, that we're not twisting God's Word and trying to make it say something that is not there. So John says, I want you to know that there's an Antichrist that's coming. But right now, there are many Antichrists who have already come. And, and so he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So they had infiltrated the church, but they were not of us. They were not authentic. They were pretenders. Think about this. If you were trying to lead a group of people astray, the best way to do that is to infiltrate that group. If, if we want to do military uh, espionage, what do we do? We try to get people inside that other group, and, and, and they feed us information, but they also help to, to distract and to take people away from that, that, uh, that enemy. And Satan is no different from that. He is trying to infiltrate the church. He is trying to, uh, to, to lead people astray and to take people away from the Lord. Now, he's going to show us here that, that true believers are not going to be led astray. But there are those in the church that are listening to the gospel who have not yet received it. There are those who are in the church that, that have equated their, their parents' religion with a religion for themselves, and they've not made it their own. And, and many of those people will be led out of the church. There are people who are, are pastors who lead great um, organizations, great um, what we would call churches that 
if they don't stick to the gospel, will lead their people astray. And so he's warning us of that. They, were, they, they went out from us, so they had infiltrated the church, and yet they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So here's what he's saying. Had they been true believers, they wouldn't have departed to a false gospel. These people that, are, that have come into the church, he says, that, that are, are now leading people astray. And, and that was what was going on. Remember, the, the, the background of this whole letter was that this Gnosticism had kind of fil- infiltrated the church. These people came into the church known as Gnostics, and the Gnostics were teaching that they had a secret knowledge. That they had the gospel, and they had the stuff, and they had all the teachings of Jesus, but that they possessed this secret knowledge that would somehow be superior to anything that had been revealed before, and that if you really wanted to walk with God, that you needed their secret knowledge. And so they preached the, the, the gospel plus. They, they preached a, a different gospel than the gospel that had been made known through Christ and through the apostles who followed Christ. And so these guys had infiltrated the church, and now they were beginning to, to pick people off and to, to gather a following, and this following was going to now separate from the church, if you would. And so he's warning them about that. And he's saying to the church and to the believers, those that he called his children, I want you to be aware that not every person that claims to have the truth really has the truth. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, if they had been part of the true group of believers, they would not have departed to follow another philosophy, another uh, form of, uh, of of a different gospel. But they would have continued with us. But they went out. And they went out so that it might become plain that they are not of us. One commentator that I read this week said this. He says, you know, there is this, this process that John's describing here where for whatever reason, God allows these, these wolves in sheep's clothing to come into a, a church to gather a following of, of those who are like-minded and then to leave that church, to pull out from that church and to try to teach a different gospel. And he says sometimes that, that process is painful for a church where, where a group comes in and a group does this and then a group leaves and, and, and they take people with them and the church is left just wounded. But he says in the end, God prevails in the sense that he purifies his church from those who weren't true believers at all. And he believes that's what John's describing here, that they were, they were of us, they were, they were here, but they weren't really a part of us. And then they left. And had they been of us, had they been true believers, he says, they would have continued with us. But they went out so that it might be plain that they were not of us. And so we, we get the question a lot of times, what, do you, what, what about oh, so-and-so who says they're a believer, but now they've come out and say that they're not? You know, what about, and there's been church leaders here just in our recent history, these guys who have, who have been prominent on the stage, who have sold millions of books that have come out now and said, you know, I renounce my Christian faith, I renounce all that stuff that I wrote about and that I talked about, that I preached about, and they, they turn their back and they walk away from the gospel. He says, what do you do with those kinds of guys? And I think this passage addresses that, that even though they were in the church and even though they, they had a, a big pulpit and a, a big platform to be able to proclaim the gospel, they departed from the gospel, showing that they never truly embraced the gospel. He says, but it's different for those who are believers. Look what he says in verse 20. 
But you, again, he's writing to the true church. He's writing to true believers. You have been anointed by the Holy One. This is a, a, a phrase he's going to use over and over, this anointing, which is the talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in us. You've been anointed by the Holy One, by the Holy Spirit. So you've been filled, you've been indwelt, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you all have knowledge. Now, he's going to play on this term. Remember, the Gnostics prided themselves on this, this secret knowledge that they had. So John's kind of playing with their own words here, and he's saying, listen, you guys have already been given knowledge. The Holy Spirit brought you the knowledge. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit when he indwells us is to illuminate us to the truth, to help bring the truth to light, that we can understand it, that we can comprehend it, and then we can live that truth out. I hope you realize that without the work of the Holy Spirit, we can't understand Scripture. We can't apply the Scripture, and we don't have the strength then to live out the Scripture. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in all of those areas. And that's why Scripture says it's important that we not quench the Holy Spirit but that we allow him to work in us and to teach us. And so he says, you've been anointed. You've been given the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit comes this knowledge of the truth. He has illuminated the Scriptures. He teaches his own the truth. And so he says, I write to you not because you know, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So you go, okay, why, why is he saying that? I'm writing to you not because you don't already know this, but I'm writing to you because you already know it. Well, then why is he writing it? Because we need to be reminded of the gospel again and again. Why do we preach the gospel week after week after week? Because as believers, we need to be rooted and grounded and reminded of the gospel all the time. Hearing it once is not enough. We need to be reminded of it every time we gather together because then I can examine the gospel and I can look at my life and I can see if those things line up or if there's some kind of a disconnect. And when there's a disconnect between my life and the gospel, I need to bring my life back in line with the gospel. I don't change the gospel to fit my life. What our world will do is just the opposite, huh? The world will say, well, this is a gospel, but... Surely that's not what God means because this is what I think. And they try to bring the gospel in line with their life. Scripture says that's not the way it's to be done. So we come back to the gospel again and again. Why do we preach the Bible instead of man's opinion? Why do we preach what what God says instead of what some philosophers say? The reason is all that really matters is the gospel. And so we come back to the gospel again and again. And he says here, this is what happens. He says, I'm not writing because you haven't heard the gospel. You don't know the truth. But I'm writing to you because you know it, but you need to be reminded of it. These guys are coming in and they are perverting the gospel. They are changing the gospel. They are making it into something that is other than the gospel. And I want to remind you of the true gospel so you can compare the counterfeit to it. I know you've all heard the story about uh, bankers getting so familiar with the real money that when counterfeit is passed, they can tell the difference. They, they learn to be able to do that. There's things they look for in bills to be able to tell them. Now we just have the ink pens. They, they do, you know. But, but, but we need to be so familiar with the gospel that when somebody comes to us with something different than the gospel, there should be some red flags that go off. There should be some alarms that go off. They go, wait a minute, this doesn't line up with what I remember about the gospel. And then we ought to go back to the gospel and look at it and go, okay, is what they're saying true? or is it not based upon the gospel? Not based upon what makes me feel good, not based upon what I want, but based upon what the gospel says. So when I hear a prosperity preacher say that that all that God wants for me is for me to be famous and to be rich and to be wealthy and to be happy and to be all that, I look at the scripture and say, does that line up with scripture? Because it doesn't matter what I want. I would love all of those things. 
My flesh would go, man, that's great. But is that what the gospel says? And so I come back to the gospel, and I see disciples who are beaten for their faith. I see a Jesus who says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I see a Savior who was perfect, that was crucified. And I go, you know what? I don't know that that prosperity stuff lines up with the truth of the gospel. And so then I go, you know what? I've got to choose now between what Scripture says and what these people want me to believe. And I've got to make that decision and that distinction. And so he's saying here, I'm not not telling you this because you've never heard it. This is the gospel that you've been taught from the beginning. And and so I write not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. You've heard it. The Holy Spirit's taught it to you. We've taught it to you. You're you're aware of it. And he says, and, and, and here's what I want you to understand. There is no lie that comes from the truth. So you've been given the truth and, and not this lie. And if they say, oh, it's just the same, you're going, no, it's not. And their lies don't flow out of the truth. Their lies flow from another place. The Bible would say they flow from the pit of hell. So who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Here he's saying the, the Antichrist that we're talking about, these ones that are infiltrating the church are the ones who are denying the work of, of Jesus. Now, we, we use the name Jesus, Jesus Christ. We, we talk about Jesus being Jesus or being Christ or being Jesus Christ, but those are really two different terms. And, and the, the word Christ was, was a word that, that spoke of his messianic role, that he was coming to be our Messiah, our Savior, the one who would rescue us from our sins. And so he's saying, who is it that, that's the liar? It's him who denies that Jesus was the Messiah, was our Savior. Remember one of the things that the Gnostics did is they said that, that, that the spirit world was perfect and that the, the, the carnal world, the, the, the fleshly world, the stuff that we could see was evil. Spirit was good, matter was evil. And so they said, therefore, Jesus could not have been God because God could not take on flesh because flesh was evil. So therefore, they denied the deity of Jesus. And by denying the deity of Jesus, they, 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 they did away with this idea that, that God came in the flesh. They were denying the work of Jesus. They denied that Jesus was the God-man, that he could be God and man at the same time. And, and they, they, they threw that idea out. And in so doing, they tried to diminish the, the work of Christ and the person of Christ. And so here he says, who, who is this liar? It's the one that denies that Jesus is the Messiah. That he was the only one that could save us. He's the only one that can set us free. The only one that could come and, and, and take our sin upon himself, die in our place, shed his blood, and, and offer us forgiveness of sin. So they're saying, whoever denies that Jesus was that Messiah, that's the Antichrist. That's the liar. You say, what difference does that really make? It makes a huge difference. Because these guys wanted to diminish the work of Christ and they wanted to elevate their own knowledge and their own work and their own secret sauce that they had. So they had to bring Jesus down and they had to lift themselves up. And the Bible says that anytime you do that, you're, you're preaching a lie. He says, this is the one that denies, is, is the one that denies Jesus as the Messiah. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So not only are they denying the work of Christ, but now he's denying the person of Christ. John says Jesus and God are the same, that Jesus was with the Father. That in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? 
And now he's saying here, if you deny the work of Christ, that he was the Messiah and that's why he came, or if you deny that he was the Father and the Son and they are together and they can't be separated, then you're denying the person of Christ. And so he's saying here there's two ways that you can identify these antichrists, and that is that they're going to try to diminish the work of Christ or the person of Christ or both of those things. And when you see that happening, you, you ought to have some alarms go off. If somebody says to you, yeah, what Jesus did was all right, and I appreciate that, and he was a good man, he had good morals, he had good teaching, he had all those, you know, he was a moral teacher. I I respect him for that. But they don't elevate him to the place of the Messiah, then we got a problem. If they don't agree that he's the one that came in the flesh, he was God in the flesh to die because we couldn't save ourselves and we needed somebody outside to come and to save us, then we have a problem. And so he says, listen, if they're denying the work of Christ or they're denying the person of Christ, then they are fulfilling the role of this Antichrist that has infiltrated the church and trying to lead people out. Now, why would these guys want to do that? Because they were seeking to elevate themselves to that position. You don't need Jesus to save you. You need me to save you. I have the knowledge that you need in order to, to, to live forever. So now you need me. It's job security. It's, it, it, it's this idea that I am somebody and that you need me. And so John says in verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What else did he say? No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is speaking the truth, and that is the gospel, then, then no one can, who denies the Son can have the Father. You can't get to the Father except through the Son. And so no one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he says, If we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. But there is this process of, of not just me mouthing the words, but it's a confession that I'm making that Jesus is now my Lord. He is my master. He gets to call the shots of my life. And I believe in my heart that he has been resurrected, that God raised him, and that he deserves my allegiance, and he deserves me to follow him with all of my life. That when we reach that point that we, we confess and we believe, then, then, we, then we are saved. And he says, so whoever, and back to John, whoever confesses the Son has the Father. But if you deny the Son, you're never going to get to the Father, John says. So he says, here's what we do. We let what we have heard from the beginning, this gospel, this truth, let it abide in you. Let it remain. Put down roots. Stay connected. When John writes in John 15 about that he is the vine and we are the branches, that if we remain in him, we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. And, and he comes back and uses that same term here. He says that we need to let this gospel that we've heard from the very beginning, not this new stuff that the Gnostics were preaching, not this new stuff that, that, that preachers today have come up with, but this gospel that's been with us from the beginning. We need for that to, to, to abide in us, to take root in us. And what that gospel does, guys, is something that sometimes makes us uncomfortable. What the gospel does is to make us dependent upon Christ. And our flesh does not like to be dependent upon anybody else. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to stand on our own two feet. We want to earn our way and prove ourselves. 
But the gospel says that's not the way that it's done. The true gospel always makes us dependent upon Christ. So that gospel needs to abide down deep in our heart, to put down deep roots, because we cannot live independent from him and achieve the salvation and the eternity with him that he has in store for us. So he says, let what you've heard from the beginning, build your life on this gospel. Let it abide in you. Let it sink down deep inside of you. Because if what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, in other words, if it dwells and lives in you, then you too will also abide and dwell in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us eternal life that's the result of us abiding in him and his word abiding (coughs) in us so let's go back just real quick and let's kind of look at where where we're going because what he's saying in this passage is real simple there's many antichrists who've infiltrated the church they're teaching a gospel other than the gospel that you've received it's a gospel that diminishes the work of christ diminishes the the person of christ but you need to go back and you need to be rooted in the gospel because if you're rooted in the gospel and what you've heard from the beginning begins to to take root inside of you then you will be rooted in the son and in the father and then you will experience the eternal life that god has in store to you for you And he says this, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. I'm trying to warn you about those in your midst that are trying to teach you something different. They are being intentionally deceptive to you. But I want you to know this, that the anointing that you have received from him, from God, it abides in you. The Holy Spirit that God grants to you at at the moment of salvation, he abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. You go, oh, wow. I've heard people misquote this verse a lot. I don't need anybody to teach me. I can figure it out on my own. Is is that what John's trying to say here? Is John trying to say we don't need teachers? No, if, if that was the case, then why would John be writing this letter? Here's what John's saying. You don't need those teachers that are teaching you a gospel other than the gospel you've heard. These guys are saying, you need us. You need us. We hold the key. We hold the secret. We've got the knowledge. And John says, no, you don't. You don't need that. You know why? Because you've got the Holy Spirit living in you that helps you to know the difference between truth and error. The Holy Spirit, the one that, that you have received, he abides in you. And so you don't have need of these guys that are out there telling you, you need our knowledge. You need our secrets. Can I tell you something else, too? As you study God's word... You ought to be checking yourself and your interpretations of what you read with guys who have done this as well. We ought to work in community together. When I begin to study God's Word, if there's something that I see in, in God's Word, and I go, oh man, that's something I've never, ever, ever seen before. The first thing I want to do is to go to my commentaries and go to these guys who have spent their life researching and studying God's Word and say, you know what, am I in step with what others have seen before me? Or am I just seeing something that may not even be there? We don't need new knowledge. We don't need new inventions. We don't need to reinvent the gospel in such a way that man can understand and, 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 and relate to it. We just need to present the gospel clear and plain. So many times we try to get so fancy and we try to find things in Scripture that nobody's ever seen before. And then man goes, whoa. You're so smart. Chances are we're not. He says, you don't need 
that new stuff these guys are introducing. You just need the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's abiding in you and he's teaching you. And his anointing, he says, teaches you about everything. And it's true, not some lie. And just as it taught you, so you should abide in him. So here he's warning us that when this new stuff comes along that's never been taught before, that's never been uh, seen before by... Listen, we, we, we have a... 2,000-year history of people who have spent time with God and have studied God's Word, who know the original languages and have been able to, to mine stuff for us that, that we may never fully understand ourselves. We ought to go to those things and look at that and say, is, is what I think I'm reading in line with what Christianity has taught for all of these years? And so he says, as he concludes this chapter, he says, Now, little children... I want you to abide in him. I want you to stay connected to Jesus and to his gospel so that when he appears, when Jesus returns, we may have confidence, in other words, this assurance when we stand before him, and not shrink back, not be ashamed, not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. You stick with the gospel. He says when you stand before Jesus, you're going to be all right. No fear, no shame. And if you know that he is righteous then you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, like father, like son. If Jesus is righteous and we claim that he is the Lord of our lives, then we ought to be righteous as well. Remember the Gnostics, what they were teaching? That, 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 that your, your spirit could be pure and yet your life could be a mess. That you can say, oh, well, spiritually I'm fine, I'm, I'm walking with God, but I can sin and I can indulge my flesh all I want to because those are two separate things. And John's saying, no, they're not. If, if you've learned anything from the gospel, you know that, that Jesus is righteous and that those who follow him should be practicing righteousness as well. And so as we look at this passage, there's several things I want us to have as a, as a takeaway today and several things that I think we could, we could take and apply to our own world and our own times that we live in. I believe that today we live in some perilous times. Times where truth and character seem to matter very little. You say what I want to hear, what I like, what benefits me, and I'm going to, to, to run toward that. Paul wrote Timothy and warned about that, didn't he? He says, Timothy, in the final days, they're going to gather around them teachers that say what their itching ears want to hear. We live in those days. Truth doesn't seem to matter. Character doesn't seem to matter. Just put more money in my wallet. Just make life easier for me. Just promise me things that I want to have, and, and you, can, you can have my allegiance. The temptation for us as Christians is to just throw up our hands and say, well, I don't know who to trust or who to believe anymore. This group says that, that group says that, the other group says that. I don't know who to listen to. I don't know who to believe. I don't know what news station to watch. I don't know who to tune into. I don't know which, you know, which source is going to give me the truth. And I'm going to tell you this. We, we live in a day and a time where all of that stuff is, is so convoluted that it's hard to know who to listen to. But here's what Scripture says. There's one person that we ought to be listening to, and that's Jesus. There's one person that we put our trust in, and that's him. And he is revealed to us in the gospel. But what many people are doing is settling for the version of the truth that feels right. We, we live in this touchy-feely time where, well, it just felt right, and so I, I went after it. it. It seemed most logical to me, so that I just, I just, I just buy into that. 
Or it sounds really spiritual. So I took it and I ran. And this is dangerous and it's flawed for us to follow our feelings or to follow our our gut or just to to, to say, well, it, it sounds logical to me. That's dangerous. But that's what the church of John's day was doing. These, these, these Gnostics were coming in and saying, hey, man, look, we've got something extra. We got some, And it, here's how all the pieces fit together, and this is how we do it. And, and, and Jesus really can't be God and man at the same time. I mean, who's ever heard of a God-man, 100% God, 100% man? I mean, that just doesn't make logical sense. And they're making all these arguments, and, and these people on the, on the borders out there, the ones that are, that, are, that are a part of the church family but haven't made this commitment to Christ yet, they're going, well, yeah, that makes sense. How can that? Yeah, I don't, that theology doesn't sound right. And they're picking them off one at a time with logical arguments or with these feeling arguments or or with these other arguments that they throw out there. And that's dangerous and it's flawed. And so what John calls the believers to do here is to cling to Christ alone, to, to take the truth that Jesus taught and that he lived and that he modeled for us and to build their lives upon that gospel, that truth, and, and not to look for some man-made solution, but to look to Christ who has provided the only solution to our sin problem. I know we've said this before, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. But guys, listen, politicians cannot fix the problems that America has. And if you're hoping that some magic politician is going to show up and fix all the problems that America has, you're going to be disappointed. God put the church here to share the gospel because the gospel is the thing that changes hearts. And if hearts don't change, this nation won't change. And so when we look at our politicians and go, well, man, i gotta, I got to figure out which one's the right one, and, and they're not going to fix our problems. Christ alone can do that. We don't need man-made solutions. We've got the solution in Jesus Christ. He is the only solution to our sin problem. And so we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth, to expose lies, and to shine life on, a light on the gospel of Christ, who he was as a person, the work that he accomplished, the heart that he had for other people. You say, well, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we get to this place that we know what we've got is, is actually true? And in the book of Hebrews, if you want to look there with me, Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us how that God's revealed truth so that we can stand. Hebrews 1.1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, our forefathers in the faith, and he spoke by the prophets. That's the way God communicated to his people. Think about this. All those who lived in Old Testament times, they were dependent upon the prophets to tell them what God said and what God wanted. And those prophets were flawed. They were inspired by God, yes, But they were frail, and they had clay feet, just like we do. They had their own problems and their own struggles. But he says that's what the people were dependent upon. And so long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. How do we know the truth? We look at Jesus. We look at what he said. We look at how he lived, how he loved we, we, he has spoken to us in these days through his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So Jesus is not some new flash in the, in the pan. He is there at creation. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature 
And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is, uh, is more excellent than theirs. So in the past, how did God speak to his people? Through the prophets. In many different ways, many different people. But in this day and in this time, how does God speak to his people? Through his son, through Jesus Christ. We need to get so familiar with Jesus, guys. The message that he proclaimed. We need to be so familiar with how Jesus treated not just his friends, but even his enemies. That when we see other people doing it different than that, we can recognize that this is not the character of God. This is not how God would do things. We need to be so familiar with what Jesus reveals that when the counterfeit comes our way, we recognize it for that and we can reject it. In Jesus, we have the full and the final revelation of God. Jesus is the one, the only one, who has made the Father's heart and the Father's will known to us. We don't need some further revelation. We don't need some secret knowledge. We don't need another Messiah or another leader. We simply need to be transformed as the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts, opens our mind to the gospel of Christ, and he awakens in us this desire to live it out with every breath that we take. The only thing new that we need is a new heart that is set upon Christ. And only God can bring that. Only God can do that. A heart that has deep roots anchored to the true gospel. So if any person uh, comes to you and, 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 and tries to present any other gospel other than the one that Christ has revealed to us, we need to reject that and to run away. Galatians chapter 1. Let's look to that together real quick. Because Paul was encountering the same kind of problem. Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. He writes to the church, and we studied this together, but but let me read it to you again. He says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there really is another gospel, but, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. And as we've said before, I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. How committed was Paul to the gospel? Paul said, if something crazy happens to me and I start preaching to you a gospel that's different than the gospel I preached to you before, then then let me be accursed. Because there's only one gospel. And it doesn't need to be revamped. It doesn't need to be redone. It doesn't need to be reinvented. It just needs to be lived out every single day of our lives. So we need to be so familiar with the gospel so committed to the gospel that nothing else is even appealing to us. We've been given the Holy Spirit, John says, to teach us, to protect us from Satan's lies. So we must not quench the working of the Holy Spirit because he is the one that seals us. He is the one that keeps us. He is the one that protects us, leads us, instructs us in the truth of the gospel. So as we close today, And as we pray together, I wish that you would join me in praying that God would once again stir our hearts 
and give us a passion for the gospel, a passion for the truth of God's word, that we wouldn't just be out there looking for some big antichrist and the mark of the beast and all of those things. Listen, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff if you're going to walk with Jesus. That, that doesn't even bother you. That's not even a, a possibility for you if you will just focus upon Jesus. But we get so focused on these, these exciting little things that are out there that we miss what we're supposed to be doing right now. So as we close, would you ask him to reveal to you any area of your life that's, that's out of step and out of line with, with where you needed to be? Any ways that you may have strayed from the gospel? And would you ask God to create in you a deep desire to know Christ better so that when the counterfeits come your way, you're so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that when he says, that's not it, that's a lie, that is misleading that there would be something that quickens in your spirit and you'd say, you know what, I'm going back to the gospel and I'm going to see what God says about that. That's where we need to be as believers. And that's what God wants to do in our hearts and our lives. So as we close, let's pray and ask God not to do that work in somebody else, but to do that work in each of us as individuals. Let's get God, let's get God to help us to be the men and the women that we need to be, to open our eyes to the fact that only Jesus, only Jesus can do the work that needs to be done in this great nation. Let's pray.